You're here with Claudia Hertzenfelder, the International Student Affairs Commission for the SGPS, and we're going to speak to some graduate and professional students here at Queen's University about their research and how it stretches beyond Canadian borders. What are some of the opportunities and challenges this has afforded them? Let's find out. This is Beyond Canada, International Thought and Scholarship. Today we've got a really exciting guest. We're going to be speaking to Raziel. Did I say it correctly? It's becoming a bit of a meme that I keep saying names incorrectly on this podcast. Um, (laughs) I'm learning a lot. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be in Canada? Uh, Thank you for the invitation today, Claudia. It's been a, a pleasure to be here. Uh, yes, I'm a visiting scholar in the Department of Sociology at Queen's. Uh, my name is Raziel, and I came from the University of the Basque Country in Spain. But I live in the other countries before before this place, uh, and South America and two places, and Europe as well. And here I'm uh, in, in the Surveillance Studies Center. Surveillance? Surveillance mm-hmm. Studies Center, conducted by Professor David Lyon. And yeah, I'm I'm here just for a few months because it's like a short program, short exchange program between scholars. So what do you mean by a few months? Is that one month, two uh, months? Three months. Actually. Three months. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, which is like a good time, I think. Mm. It's not too long, not too short. It's you can yeah, get some insights of the country and the on the place. And um, yeah, that's the the basic uh, story of mine. Yeah. Basic story. And you said you've lived in a few other countries. What what took you to those countries? Well, uh, because I was born in, in, in South America, and I, I live in two countries, in Peru and Brazil. Um, my mother is uh, uh, still living there. Okay. And in, in Brazil? Yeah. Oh, wow. And then I moved by myself to Spain like seven, eight years ago. Okay. And I was, I, um, I was living in different cities in Spain as well, doing especially my master's, and now I'm doing my PhD. I am the... Last year of my PhD. So you're doing yeah. a PhD in, in Spain as well. So you've been exactly. living in Spain for a number of years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you've, you've had quite a transnational life. I thought it was kind of interesting. Mm. We were speaking a bit about it before we started mm. um, chatting today. That when I asked you where you're from, uh, mm. for a lot of people, that seems to be like a pretty straightforward question. Yeah. But when I asked you where you're from, you listed you listed four countries, uh-huh. Peru, Brazil, Spain, and Greece, um, <laughs> which, yeah. which, which was really interesting. Why, why, did you, why did you do that? I wrote those countries because uh, those are the countries that I, I lived before. Mm-hmm. And I consider them as part of my identity okay. because I have some uh, cultural aspects or some uh, cultural um, things that I learned when I when I was living in these countries, uh, especially in the first one because I spent a lot of my t- uh, my life, uh, for example, in Brazil and, and Spain. Mm. But I also consider, for example, that Peru, the country of my fathers, and also Greece, which was the, one of the countries that I was living in this year before coming to Canada. Wow. So maybe in f- in the future I can mention Canada as well. So I think I will mention Canada because I will, I'm learning too much here and I'm really liking this very exciting experience. So you feel like Canada is becoming part of your identity? <sighs> yeah, in some parts, yes. It's, it's hard to define identity, but you can, it's like you catch some aspects and you try to incorporate for yourself in terms of like uh, personal issues or even for professional issues, mm. like for example, learning. Yeah, definitely. This will this will be one of the countries that I learned most in my in terms of my research, and also in terms of moving so easily 
so beyond different spheres. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your research? So you said you're doing mm-hmm. research mm-hmm. on, I mean, it's, it's fantastic to hear that you're learning so much while here. Uh, yeah. It would be great to actually, because surveillance is a, a huge, huge mm-hmm. topic. Uh, what, yeah. what year are you in your PhD now? I'm the last year. I'm the fourth. Oh, yeah. congratulations. Uh, That's you. very exciting. <laughs> I'm, I'm just at the beginning stages, so you seem like a you seem like a, a unicorn to me. <laughs> <laughs> a unicorn, wow. <laughs> so, uh, so tell me a little bit then um, about surveillance and what it is exactly that you're looking at. Well, and yes, as you said, surveillance is a very huge topic. Uh, I started researching the part of security and like national security surveillance mm-hmm. from, for example, intelligence, intelligence agencies and strategic security. But I realized that this is, this is very connected with other aspects of everyday surveillance. So at the end, I, in my research, I'm trying to connect like the high politics of national security and intelligence services to the normal use of the internet every day, for example, in cell phone social networks or the personal data management. So I'm trying to put together different uh, streams or concepts of surveillance together mm-hmm. and in order to analyze how can we like improve the accountability. Accountability consists in basically show trans- some, some degree of transparency yeah. and responsibility by the watchers, if we can say that uh, like that, to the watched, I mean to the general people or from the government or the powerful one uh, people to the powerless. In, wow, uh, and and you put uh, powerless inverted quotes there. Um, in yeah. Why 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 did you? Because do that? Uh, for example, now I'm studying um, resistance and civil uh, civic agency, which consists in how do normal people react to, for example, to surveillance, mm-hmm. or how they can change the this, uh, political and socio-technical systems of surveillance. I mean, I'm, I'm mentioning powerless between quotations because they are not totally powerless. They have some degree of power. They can. Uh, deploy resistance, for example. Yeah. And and yeah. then you, you spoke, so you're speaking about surveillance at these two different ends. Uh, I think mm-hmm. when I think about surveillance, it often comes to mind, you know, like CIA and FBI mm-hmm. operatives. Yeah. I, I obviously watch way too many movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, um but now you're also speaking about data and what in what way so for someone who hasn't thought about this before how are we as just everyday consumers using mm-hmm. the internet uh, with using our cell phones how how are we being what why are people surveying us like what what is what kind of interest is there in anyone in mm-hmm. knowing about me like who am i am a nobody yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely this uh, this uh, vision of surveillance is not only related, for example, to national security or high politic interests. Of mm-hmm. course, this is important. I started to do my research from this point. But when you think, for example, in normal people like us who are talking in this beautiful snow morning. Yeah, it here, is beautiful outside. Yeah, um, well, the use of data now is not a thought in terms of how you can like uh, challenge the system in terms of necessarily p- represent a threat for security. But it consists in just watching what's happening. Like, you just collect a lot of data from every people just to know what's happening. So this and is then, big data now. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is especially big data now. And then you can use this data for different purposes, like just for see what's happening, as I mentioned, or to create profiles and categories of people. You can create categories of consumption, mm-hmm. of... Um, for example, suspicion, like trying to identify potential 
criminals in terms of terrorists, for example. Or you can just uh, create profiles in terms of how is the division of population within one place. Well, what, what, what are they thinking about in some moment? So it's especially consistent watching. So that's the main concept, of, I think, of surveillance. Then you can apply other concepts and politics to do whatever you want with data. So my research consists in, okay, we are, tra we are collecting data, but we cannot do whatever we want. We need to put some rules, especially from ethics to politics and also to juris jurisdiction, to law, to avoid like the misuse and like evil use of data. In, in, and isn't this, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, wasn't this something to do with, with Facebook not too long ago that mm -hmm. this, this kind of scandal blew up? Because, I mean, you touched on advertising there and yeah. obviously at the moment in today's world we're speaking a lot about knowledge, the type of knowledge we mm -hmm. have, uh, mm -hmm. the type of media we're exposed to, and increasingly it's becoming more and more um, Reified. Like it's, it's, I'm only seeing particular types mm -hmm. of stories based on the data that would that const. So if, if I'm reading, let's say, only um, Breitbart News, mm -hmm. which is a, is a right wing media channel, I'm going to tend to get more of that kind of material. Or if I read CNN, then mm -hmm. I'm going to tend to get more of left leaning material in my yeah. feed and not exposed to a variety of different ways of thinking. Is this also an area in which surveillance comes in? Of course, yes, because this is a clear example of categorization of information and people. Mm -hmm. If you're reading some materials, for example, from left wing, uh, usually the algorithm will address more content uh, from this point, perspective or point of view. And the other way is, is the same. If you are more to the right wing, probably the, the, you will receive more information related to this um, it's called echo chambers of information, like yes, these bubbles yeah. of uh, the same concepts and perspective upon the world. So you will like being inserted in a form of bubble. So it's like like a new form of categorization of people, but mm -hmm. in like in soft means, no, you are not realizing that you are putting into some box. Yeah. But you are. You are. And, so and how how do we how do we? I mean, it seems like the algorithm has control over me more than I yeah. have control over anything else. So you spoke about resistance and yeah. agency. What, yeah. what is there to do? It means that you can exercise resistance from the individual p point of view. For example, in terms of you can just shift the information you're consuming or just change the, the patterns of uh, getting information on the Internet to more collective or social ways of resistance, which consists in... There are so many organizations uh, related, for example, to challenge the ways uh, the algorithms are built, mm -hmm. or they are trying to bring more transparency upon these issues. Or even if you consider, for example, general protests, that, for example, nobody w uh, goes to the street to protest against the algorithms of Facebook. Mm -hmm. But when they protest, for example, for a more uh, comfortable life, for more uh, opportunities, economic opportunities, or more for more social justice, these are very related, for example, to justice even in, on the internet, on in general sense, in the general world. So resistance can be like from the individual to the collective perspective. And, and what, what in particular, because mm -hmm. this is obviously a massive topic, surveillance cuts yeah. across borders, it cuts across countries, it cuts across homes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's quite clear to mm -hmm. see why you're trying to tie, I guess, the individual to this macro state mm -hmm. because it is being used across these different scales. Mm -hmm. But that sounds like a massive PhD project. Is there a particular place or type of surveillance that you're focusing on? Well, actually, it's a, a very <laughs> huge and very big uh, research because 
I'm researching from different areas, from arts to sociology, communication to philosophy, and so on. But yeah, I'm focused especially in the last 50 years of the surveillance evolution. 50 years? Yes, in, in two, two countries, in two continents. Uh, one is Brazil and the other is Spain. Okay. The country that I was living before and uh, that I know most and have more contacts. Uh, and yes, I'm focusing in, the, in those cases, but yeah, it's very, very general in terms of history mm-hmm. and also in terms of topics because I'm, I have so many th- things to do. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like yeah. you're set up for the rest of your life in terms of the research. Yeah, yeah. it's a life research, actually. I'm just beginning now. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really yeah. an important thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. we think of a PhD as the end of the road for research, but actually I think it's just when you start to begin um, when you start to ask the questions that matter. So you said it's on Brazil and on Spain, yeah. and you are here with me in Canada. Mm-hmm. Why Canada? Why, why are you here to... How, mm-hmm. how did you come here to, to look at surveillance in Spain and Brazil? Ah, because I like the snow and the cold here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's, the main reason was because uh, there is a research group here in the, at Queen's University. Uh, it's called Surveillance Study Center. And they have scholars from all over the world, from different countries. And I was just applying to, to make a research here, especially because of the professors and contacts. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that we can say that the main reason wasn't uh, because of the academic uh, aspects of, of this research center. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so yeah. it was actually the, the surveillance studies center, and you—they're mm-hmm. doing good work. And you thought, okay, I need to come and learn from from uh, the folks here. Exactly. Yeah. Because since I'm working from different uh, perspectives in surveillance, from theories to like applied and practice, uh, I was needing more contact with my field and from with other scholars and from my research. Because in other countries we have also surveillance and intelligence scholar, but they are very scattered, very, very separated from each other. And here is like a hot spot where you concentrate it. Fascinating. Like I had no idea that uh, the Queen's University was a hot spot for surveillance studies. So yeah. how can can you maybe tell us a bit about the type of research that's being done within within that department and, mm-hmm. and what kind of things you've been learning? Well, uh, nowadays, I think the main project consists in analyzing big data. Okay. It's called Big Data Project, and they are analyzing uh, like um, the processing of data in health uh, programs and also in security and internet like, for example, social network platforms. Mm-hmm. And there is another project uh, we, in which a, col- a colleague is trying to making reverse engineering of the flow of data in your cell phones, for example. Reverse engineering? Yeah, it's like seeing this the flow of data from your... Uh, generally, you put some information on your cell phone and you send to the towers and then it's delivered to the networks mm-hmm. across the world. So they're trying to make the, the other way around to see how the data can go from the towers and the internet networks to the mobile phone so you can see what was the precise path the data was following and you can like track what is happening for real in, in your Whoa. mobile phone for example that's yeah. and, and and what are you going to do with these connections so when you're you're not in canada for much longer now uh unfortunately no but i will keep in contact with these people from with these colleagues Okay, so, yeah. that's that's great. So you've made because I mean these big gains sound like really huge projects where uh, reverse the reverse yeah. of data is kind of yeah. playing with my mind here. I think the first time I ever actually thought about cell phones, um, I mean it still kind of boggles my brain. Just the idea that there are these mm. 
I don't, data data blows my mind. What you're doing blows yeah. my mind. Yeah, because we work with a lot of computer scientists. Yeah. Well, they work with a lot of computer scientists. I'm, I'm more theoretical. I'm from humanities. Oh, I, uh -huh. I do enjoy uh, yeah. good theory. Uh, what's what's your main theoretical background? Are you looking primarily at Foucault or who who is your who's your Ooh. backbone? Well, that's a good question, uh, no, difficult question because right now I'm I'm, I'm writing the final chapter of my dissertation and I'm putting together so different perspectives from like continental philosophy from post-structuralism, for example, Foucault, Baudelaire, uh, Hansier, and other uh, uh, European scholars to decolonial studies, and also to trying to figure out how to create like a single theory in surveillance in terms of agency and resistance. A single theory? Yeah, like unifying, the con not the concept, but unifying the ideas to put into a single model, if I can say that, because okay. they are very separated from each other. There are not so many research in this uh, in this issue, so I would I'm trying to create a, like a new the theory, a new model, if I can say that. Yes. That's incredible. Yeah. Theoretical work is it's hard work. Yeah, it's also tough work. Yes, and I, I really like it. It's like a, a challenge, a challenge, and I think you can facilitate life from future researchers. Yeah. yeah. So, um, speaking about mm -hmm. researchers, when prior to the interview, I asked you some of the opportunities and challenges. So you've obviously gone across a variety of different. Uh, countries in your in your lifetime you've lived and studied mm -hmm. in numerous places and now you're researching two other countries and you're in Canada um what do you think are some of the the challenges of doing this type of research of, of going you know of, of going across mm -hmm. different national boundaries when you're trying to do research um well let me think about it uh, I think that the main challenge is to try to to connect with what's happening in the other countries. I mean, because it goes beyond reading articles in the news and know what the main politics or the main events that are happening in other countries. But I mean, trying to understand like the spirit of people and from the new country that you're living, that takes time. It's like uh, an anthropological uh, field work that you need to connect somehow with what's happening there and so even then different people mm -hmm. in a different place have a different feeling of that place right so yeah exactly and mm -hmm. it's like a labyrinth sometimes yeah. and you need to figure out how to follow your path but at the same time you don't need to lose yourself and trying to catch everything that's happening in, in that so you place. find that to be one of the most difficult things is trying to actually get a sense of a place to get a, a feeling for a place yeah uh, for at least in my case yeah because i was living in, in other countries and it took some time for example to to understand uh, the subterraneous culture of people mm. uh, for example in spain it's easy to get along with people but to know for example what different patterns of behavior happen it's just requires some time to uh, to realize that they happen and to understand them uh, for example the difference between people in the north and the south or the difference between some areas even in the in the region that i was living so you can understand in terms of geography or weather but it's, it goes beyond that so it's like could you give us an example yeah for example people in the north uh, is is acknowledged to be more um sometimes cold or not so easy going as people in the south mm -hmm. but on the other hand they are really easy going but they just in other uh, way or manner because they have other uh, activities to for example to relax and to get around which are different from people in the south yeah 
And also when you're w talking with people, for example, even in the same city from the academia of, of people who are working on the streets mm. or people who are doing activism or people who are doing arts and, or different things. So it's like different province of the real yeah. <laughs> in the same place. Different and cultures. That, yeah. Uh, one of the things you mentioned mm. prior to the interview today was an issue or a challenge of solitude when you're mm. doing research in a different country. What yeah. did you mean by that? Well, I mean that, <clears throat> especially in my, in my area, which consists in writing your own dissertation. Mm -hmm. So you usually you don't have like a col collaborative team or it's not like a cooperative work when you're writing your dissertation. I mean, you can collaborate with other researchers when you are getting ideas, but the writing process, which is very long, and to put it, the, your ideas into the paper, it, this is a very conversation with yourself. Mm -hmm. And this requires a lot of concentration and also to to realize that you are most of the time just talking with yourself and this solitude appears constantly, even if you are in a crowded place or moving around different countries. Yes, and it, it intensifies as, as far as you move to other countries because it's like restarting again, creating your again your new social networks. Yeah. And yes, and in my case, I realized this uh, in, at different moments of my research, which is not uh, bad necessarily. It's like... A, uh, some aspect that you need to understand when you're researching abroad and you're doing a PhD, I think. Yeah, I think uh, writing in general is mm. possibly something we don't mm -hmm. speak about enough when we think of doing research. We think about the act of mm -hmm. going out and doing the interviews and, um, you know, we've got this kind of intrepid idea of a researcher. But the the length of time it takes mm -hmm. to do a chapter or to do a page for for anyone, really, uh, whether, whether you're fluent in English or not, um, you know, like I'm, 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 I finished uh, working on my proposal this weekend or parts of my proposal. Oh. Not finished, not Co finished. Right. Congratulations. Um, it's never that. finished. Yeah, yeah. But you're, you're 100% correct that you can end up sitting at your computer for several hours and mm. just, just in your head as you're figuring out that puzzle. And it can be, sometimes you have to whip yourself out of that to, to mm -hmm. try and have a social interaction with someone else because mm. otherwise you, you can fall into a hole, really. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I think that uh, that could be a problem sometimes because um, most of people get very, really focused on what they are doing. They become really good, but at the same time, we're create, creating like bubbles mm. between different areas and disciplines. So we don't know what's really happening in the neighbor department or with your colleague. So this can be a problem sometimes. Well. Yeah, it's a bit of a challenge, mm -hmm. I think, of getting graduate students to interact and, and speak about your ideas across. Exactly. I mean, interdisciplinarity was mm -hmm. another thing you raised. It's, it's really, mm -hmm. it seems to be the buzzword of today. Um, and I, I definitely think there's huge value in speaking to and at least learning from different disciplines. But it's hard. Yeah. It's hard because, uh, for example, take the concept of culture which everybody knows what, what's a cultural manifestation for example music arts reading research or dancing whatever but nobody knows what's culture i mean a definition of culture or mm. what do you understand with, with culture because it can be related to geography to sociology anthropology communication technology so many so many different aspects and in the end it's very, a very loose concept that which is good for researching from different perspectives but at the same time it creates like bubbles of or compartments between researchers because they don't understand what's happening or they cannot define uh, different uh, topics uh, related to common areas. And even then, yeah. the areas yeah. as defined mm. by geography can mm. sometimes be really different, right? So the, yeah. I know, for example, political science. So yeah. I, I did a political science degree in, in South Africa and going from 
South Africa where mm. I did the degree and then I did my, my master's in Sweden, the idea of politics and what political studies was was vastly different mm -hmm. um, because in my experience it was mainly policy orientated it was mm -hmm. very much development and de like developmentalist in design whereas I went across to a different country and there it was very theoretical a lot of you know thought experiments so completely different ways of learning mm -hmm. the same subject yeah that's true that's completely true. different yeah which is I think is good a priori but at the end, this is dangerous because you are creating different ways of understanding. You are creating more disciplines within the same discipline. Mm. So it becomes harder to catch up with different topics. So, but what do you think are some of the, the opportunities then? So if, if, if international research creates all of these, uh, or international collaboration creates, or am amplifies, maybe mm. is a better word, amplifies some of the challenges faced by graduate students, such as having solitude, mm. struggling to... Mm -hmm connect across disciplines, uh, having issues with creating social uh, connections. What are the, I mean, maybe someone who's listening is thinking, oh my goodness, I should, I should not go and do an exchange <laughs> program. That sounds like my life is going to be really hard. It will be. <laughs> it will be hard? Well, fair enough. But it's the good part as well. And what, what are the good parts? Like, well, where mm -hmm. are the opportunities for, yeah. uh, for or, or you know, what are the benefits mm -hmm. of, of going, even if just for a short period of time, like mm -hmm. yourself, for an exchange? What, what are the benefits of doing that? Well, I think the first uh, benefit is it comes in terms of your personality. It shows you how, how you can learn in different contexts. I mean, the most beneficial part would be your mind and your being, we can say in philosophical terms. You mm -hmm. wouldn't know. You will be different from... And the last day of your exchange program from the first day, you will see it really clearly. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a huge benefit because you will like evolve or change yourself in different manners. But in terms of uh, like discovering new realities and getting connected with new people and also new scholars is good because they can help you if you are thinking and making a research in other country, for example, to compare different uh, realities or just to connect new ideas. And this will help because I think uh, nothing uh, replaces direct contact with people. I mean, you can connect via Skype or like electronic devices, getting ideas, mm. reading papers, reading books from the other part of the world. But nothing replaces if you go to the other uh, side of the world to talk with these people and to see what's happening, how they understand those the same ideas that you were reading before. Uh, yes, and if you do like, like practical uh, research or field work, it, it would be even better, I think. So do you have a so lot. So you think of you see things in a, a more fresh light when you yeah. when you when you go somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, when, when you travel, I mean, I think traveling is one thing. Travel is mm. is awesome. And, mm. and uh, you know, I think you learn a great deal about the mm. places you go to. But it's often quite transient when you've been in a place, one place. So you've been mm. in Kingston now for three months. Mm -hmm. I think this ties back into what you said at the beginning. You kind of get a sense of the place. You get mm -hmm. a, uh, it's vastly different to just a kind of passing through for a day or two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because even if you stay for 10 years in a new country, that's just the beginning because you will never end learning and yeah. realizing what's happening in that place. Well, in some yeah. ways, I felt well, as though I only really mm. learned about 
South Africa mm. once I left South Africa, which yeah. sounds really bizarre. But the more places I went to uh, and experienced, the more clearly I saw South Africa. Some of the things that we would complain about, you know, saying, oh, this is not good enough or, you know, this is this. And, you know, we really enjoy complaining. I'm from yeah. Johannesburg and we, we know how to do it well. Um, but then the more I went to different places, the more I realized, oh, wait, other yeah. other there are other ways of doing things. And actually, South Africa is doing this kind of well. Uh, yeah. it, it, being in a different place made me see South Africa far more clearly somehow. Yeah, it's fun because you can realize um, your country with more uh, more clearly when you are abroad or mm. in, in different countries. Or even in terms of time when you are, for example, studying... Let's put an example, history. You're studying like history from the 16th century or from the medieval times. Mm -hmm. 30 years ago, we, we didn't know about many aspects of what were happening at those times. And now, like, we move to the future, we know more about this period. So it's like, the more you go to the future, the more you can discover about the past. Or yeah. the more you travel far from your country, the more you can discover about your home country. It's well, like don't, don't they say that history yeah. is inherently yeah. actually a study of the present? Because yeah. the questions you ask of yeah, history of today are a reflection of what's happening yeah, today. Are, are filtered by the present and mm. they, be, they return to the present. Yeah, history. Actually, every social or humanities studies. But I don't think just possible. returned, like mm. at least I, I think that mm -hmm. the very questions we mm. ask of history mm -hmm. are born of the moment in time we are today. Yeah. Um, so tying back to surveillance, for mm. example, I, you know, I wonder, we, we've got this whole new lexicon mm. and set of words that we use to understand surveillance. And I wonder if people would go back now and look at some historical documents around a particular place and, and have a whole different way of understanding and analyzing the practices because of our current focus and interest in data and mm -hmm. surveillance. Yeah, that's true. And also because our preferences are, are always changing. And so we can like re-update re what we are doing and mm. seeing what what's happening in other, other countries and realities. Yeah, that's the very interesting part of analyzing like the reality in different perspectives, I think. Yeah, it brings yeah. You, it brings you more insights and it yeah. keeps you alive at the end. I think this is very philosophical. I, I, I enjoy yeah. philosophy very much. Yeah. These, these types of questions about what is reality um, mm. And you think it's really easy to be like, oh, this is reality. But the closer, like you said about culture, the yeah. closer you look at it, the, yeah. the murkier it gets. Yeah, I think the main point is trying to not create like a concept of reality, but try to put the, those concepts of reality or those visions of reality into yourself. I mean, for example... Uh, what's the main lesson for, of, of history? That's a question that a lot of people was trying to answer in the last 2,000 of years. You can formulate different answers, but I think there are major answers. And one of these major answers would be like, okay, history is, like, is what you do with your past and present to put into your identity to yourself in order to create a new future. So that is like a a single answer which encompasses other answers. And I think we can create, I think, universal answers, even for reality. I don't have the answer oh. for that. But I think we can create like more universal answers that can not only help people, but also to uh, enable more understanding. There has reality. been quite a bit of resistance to the idea mm. of a universal 
anything really yeah. I, I think we're we're living in a time mm-hmm. uh, in academia yeah. in particular where there is a resistance to the universal to any sort of uh singular yeah. answer to anything yeah. or singular understanding of yeah. anything because that's been pretty harmful in the past uh yeah. it was very much part of colonial projects for example yeah. it's it's considered very much part of uh-huh. western traditional thought i can see yeah, yeah. that you, I, I <laughs> you un- read this <laughs> I, <laughs> I can un- see you gearing up to answer this <laughs> i understand this people yeah, and i totally agree with we need to create new universals we don't need to be uh, attached to the previous uh, single answers about for example colonial or eurocentric vision of the world Uh, but we can get some aspects of these previous attempts of creating universal answers to create new ones, uh, encompassing different cultures and also different uh, times. So um, I disagree with those people. I think that we can create uh, universals. And we need to create new universals because if you see how, how the world is evolving in terms of globalization, interna- internationalization, and also uh, putting together new challenges to different peoples nowadays, not only because of the ecological crisis or because of the new political changes that are happening and, uh, or that will happen in the next 20 or 50 years, because we need really to create new universal values you, and Universal answers values. And okay. answers. So, I mean, this is really... Oh, it's a pity that we're now approaching the end of the show because this is this is really a minefield. Because minefield and mm. mindfield, because... Mm. There are certainly challenges in creating universals because what we think is appropriate, we're speaking about history and time now, Mm -hmm. and what we think is appropriate uh, value today could Mm -hmm. very well not be inappropriate because hindsight is 20, 20, Mm -hmm. 30 years, 50 years from now, you look back and you think, oh, wait, that wasn't, actually, that was not great. And Mm -hmm. we were all behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you've got different... You know, I think there's a lot of fear of universals at the moment because, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, globalization, mm-hmm. there's a move towards singularity somehow, singular mm-hmm. cultures, singular the languages are getting lost left, right and center. Yeah. There are actually museums that are coming out yeah. and researchers that are trying desperately to just document yeah. and remember languages because they're going extinct. Yeah. Uh, so. On the one hand, you've got people desperately trying to hold on to diversity and say, you know, these are different mm-hmm. languages, these are special, these are important. But on the other hand, you've got globalization and this pursuit of universals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that we need to create counter-universal uh, values and narratives to this, for example, uh, concept of universal globalization, which is more economic. Mm-hmm. And I need, we need to react, creating new universals. And I think that these new universal concepts uh, can put together, for example, different perspectives. For example, thinking the word equality, which is a very old universal, it encompasses even differences between people. And also, for example, when you think in equality, you are not thinking and putting together on the same level and erasing all the differences. You're just trying to encompass or putting together different people, different customs and traditions, and to put in the same level or standards in order to under, uh, to respect them and also incorporate to create a new uh, terrain for culture and politics or whatever. Mm-hmm. So th- I, I'm thinking these kind of universes that are very porous or can bring together different um, concepts, realities, and people. So it's not a universal which will erase all of, mm. of the rest of the concepts, but it's not. It's like a convergence point between different trends and dimensions. Interesting. Yeah. I'm terribly sorry that I'm going to have to. Yeah. Um, I think I could talk yeah. to you for a solid hour here, but before yeah. we wrap up, I just want to ask uh-huh. you one final question. Yeah, of course. Uh, 
If you could think of one song mm-hmm. that, so I always ask people this at the end of the podcast, one song that reminds you either of, <clears throat> you know, your time in Canada or one of the countries that you've done research in or about your research project itself on surveillance. What song, yeah. do you have any song, what kind of song do you, would you like us to play? Well, uh, I was thinking in the song of The Doors, this very famous band of the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s, and, and the song is called The Spy because I was listening to this music when I was starting my research back in Brazil like six, no, more than six years ago. It was like more than 10 years ago. Maybe, when I was like uh, starting my research, uh, my current research, mm-hmm. all the first steps, I used to listen to this, to this music uh, every afternoon. So I'm still listening now sometimes. And it, it tells you the story of a, of a spy, which is in love. Mm-hmm. So it tells you the story of a person who is watching the other one, the, okay. be- the beloved person, which in some sense is very cute, but in the other sense is very like spooky. Creepy. spooky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the main, uh, I think, story of, su- of surveillance, for example. It has the beautiful part because it's the way we see the other people, the way we understand them. But on the other hand, it could be dangerous, it could be spooky mm-hmm. and creepy. So that song, I think, uh, summarizes uh, very well my the ideas that I was trying to put together in my research. Great. Well, thank you mm-hmm. so much for mm-hmm. uh, speaking to us about your research and mm-hmm. getting into some mm-hmm. really uh, interesting conversations here today. And I'll certainly play that song for you. Thank you for joining us, mm-hmm. and I hope you have a wonderful journey back home. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me here. And yes, it was a pleasure. Yeah.
A big thank you to today's guest, as well as to all of the staff here at CFRC, with a special thanks to the station manager, Diana Janssen. The bed music for this podcast is Mafiki Zolo featuring Uhuru singing Kona. This has been Beyond Canada, International Thought and Scholarship. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.